think what really did resonate with me was this backdoor to pride, even if you are white. And I wonder if that's why there's creep into the pride community. I was just listening to commentary today on the addition of, for example, poly people maybe to LGBTQA plus pride and also asexual people. Many people complain, well, asexuality is more like a hormone imbalance than it is a sexuality. But then where do you draw the line? If in the end, maybe someone being gay or trans or any other thing could be a product of their hormones, which could even be influenced by things that their mothers did or did not do, did or did not consume were or were not exposed to. So I feel like there's this really interesting gradation. At any rate, um, maybe why some people are really drawn to try to loop themselves in to things like Pride Month when they are, for example, just asexual or poly. Maybe that's into that to say, like, I want to be proud about something about myself culturally, something about my people and my tribe. And I also think that, like, I don't know, of the people I know who are asexual, who are poly, they are overwhelmingly white, overwhelmingly on the wealthier and more educated end of the spectrum. I do think it's telling that of all the places where I've been in the world, that where we see pride most, I guess, openly and enthusiastically celebrated is also where white culture is also super not cool to celebrate. Like I was just thinking about like, where's the only other place where I've seen like enthusiastic celebration of LGBT? Can you guess? I don't know. Germany. Like oh, big time. interesting. Yeah, mm -hmm. they do have bigger pride events in other places. Yeah, pride in coastal cities is the strongest. Because sure. when I think about like the best like gay pride parades I've been to or drag shows or like events in general, San Francisco, obviously, D.C., Cape Cod, like just. Oh, yeah, the those best. are definitely locations where you would have the highest amount of cultural shame. With this new model of LGBT as laundered white pride, <laughs> do you view it any differently? Like, I don't know what to make of it yet in my head. Well, I think I, I'm going to. Kindness. It's not great to grow up feeling like your ethnic group is wretched and deplorable and like intrinsically genetically or culturally worse than all other groups. And not everybody raises their kids believing this, but there definitely is a portion of the population that raises their kids believing this. And I think that portion of the population's kids is a portion that is most likely to end up identifying as LGBT. I don't see it as a bad thing really, because it's better than these kids having nothing they can have pride in. Yeah. Especially if you buy this meme that there's just something intrinsically immoral about white people or whiteness, which exists within certain cultural groups, especially in the San Francisco, New York area. People started basing their identities off of the state of the sexual identity research 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. And now if you update the research, like if the research finds new things, well, then you've undermined someone's identity, right? Mm -hmm. So you can't update. It's now canon. It's now whatever the state of the field was 20 years ago, that's canon, even if it doesn't align with the actual data, which is one of the things that we point out in our book is the concept of even gay and straight is probably not a really effective way of talking about yeah. sexual identity. Would you like to know more? Hello, Malcolm. Hello, Simone. What are we going to talk about today? Is it white pride? <laughs> You, you shared with me the most interesting theory about white pride this morning. I would love for you to expand upon it. Let's dive into it. Yeah. So one thing that we were talking about was this concept that, you know, generally when you're looking at falling fertility rates, 
one of the things that's really associated with cultural groups that have been able to maintain their fertility rate is pride in that cultural group, like a belief that we are a good thing in the world and more of this thing should exist. And we argue this is one of the reasons why Jewish populations have been so resistant to fertility collapse, because a lot of the times we talk to a Jewish person and they're like, I want more Jewish people to exist in the future. And okay, so that that makes a lot of sense. But when you're talking about white people more broadly, like Caucasians generally, I think that there's this belief that if they have any pride in an aspect of who they are or their culture, that is white pride and it is evil. The interesting thing is there has been a group that has come with a message that says, oh, actually, if you join our cultural group, now you can be white and have pride in the cultural group you've joined. And this is the LGBTQ plus population. Just for some statistics here, gay married couples have a higher medium household income than opposite sex married couples, but their poverty rates are about equal. And if you look across the U.S. population, you actually see higher rates of black and Hispanic LGBT identification currently, but this disappears and uh, becomes the opposite when you correct for age. This is more because there are more younger black and Hispanic people in the general population. And I think the real smoking gun that this is what's happening, that it is allowing predominantly white middle and upper class individuals who otherwise are told by society they can't have pride in anything, well, now you're allowed to have pride, is that it is now becoming kind of offensive to discuss that being gay is something you're born as or being trans is something you're born as. And if you think this is an offensive thing to discuss and you're like, no, nobody thinks that's offensive to discuss. Well, okay, so there's a recent study. Simone, why don't you talk about this study? Right, yeah, because I was the one to first get really freaked out about it. One group of researchers looking at the presence of endocrine disruptors in first trimester mothers found that mothers with elevated levels of endocrine disruptors also saw higher rates of boys born essentially with like less transition to full maleness. So for example, the distance between the anus and the penis was shorter, sort of like that developmental stage happened less completely, less successfully. And then around age eight, the boys who in utero in first trimester had mothers with higher concentrations of endocrine disruptors in their bloodstreams also showed less, we'll say, dimorphically male play. So they they played more like girls, essentially, which indicates that there are exogenous factors that could affect the extent to which someone shows certain dimorphic gendered behavior, as well as yeah. physiological traits. So I was bringing up this study with an African friend of mine, like from Africa, it's a slightly different cultural background. They're not as up to date with like modern American progressive culture. And I was like, well, and of course I don't really talk about this study publicly much because it'd be seen as wildly offensive to trans people. And they were like, wait, why would that be if it, wouldn't that like be an argument that would show that the explosion in the trans population could be a biological change and that these people aren't imagining it and that there really is like a lower gender differentiation or many more people being born actually the opposite gender. And I was like, that's an interesting point. I started thinking, like, why is this such an offensive concept to these communities when it seemingly the way that when I grew up, the gay community, you were born gay, you were born trans, and that was the defense for that community. 
And what I realized is now it's considered offensive to either say that you were born gay or to say that you're definitively not born gay and it's a choice. It's the same with the trans community, right? It's like they want to keep this in a box. They don't want anybody asking these questions or saying that it could be something that you were born as. And so the question is, why would you want to keep that in a box? Well, the reason you would want to keep it in a box, because so long as people aren't born gay or born trans, if anyone can become gay or trans, uh, like the old political lesbians, uh, oh, okay. th these were a group of feminists who believed that it was immoral to be heterosexual because you are like benefiting men. But if you say that anyone can become, can join the LGBTQ plus community, well, then you have fully opened it to the entire like white upper class community to join because this pride offering is more valuable to them. But I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, Simone. This stuff is hard for me. I think what really did resonate with me was this backdoor to pride, even if you are white. And I wonder if that's why there's creep into the pride community. I was just listening to commentary today on the addition of, for example, poly people maybe to LGBTQA plus pride and also asexual people. Like many people complain like, well, asexuality is more like a hormone imbalance than it is a sexuality. But then like, where do you draw the line? If in the end, maybe someone being gay or trans or any other thing could be sort of a product of their hormones, which could even be influenced by things that their mothers did or did not do, did or did not consume were, or were not exposed to. So I feel like there's this really interesting gradation. At any rate, um, maybe why some people are really drawn to try to loop themselves in to things like Pride Month when they are, for example, just asexual, which really hasn't subjected people to that much discrimination throughout history, aside from maybe them being obligated to have sex in some relationships and they're not that into it, which I don't know, I'm not too worried about. Or Polly, maybe that's just trying to get into that, to say, like, I want to be proud about something about myself culturally, something about my people and my tribe. And I also think that, like, I don't know, of the people I know who are asexual, who are poly, they are overwhelmingly white, overwhelmingly on the wealthier and more educated end of the spectrum. So I do see that because I don't think also, especially white, wealthy and educated people are allowed that much to even have pride in, for example, like being graduates of the school they graduated from, which in the past used to be huge, right? Yeah, because that's a sign of status. So it mm -hmm. would have be seen as a negative thing to show pride in because it would be like class status. Or, well, or class aspirational status. If you have victimhood yeah. status, then it's fine. You know, you have to be the adventurous, enlightened, educated victim or the sporty, <laughs> like that uh, outgoing victim, something like that. <laughs> yeah. It, well, it's a yep. the victim tag is necessary if you want to be, I guess, palatable from a public relations standpoint, which is why that was such a good South Park joke. Well, and I think that this is something that you point out where, where when we talk about this as a cultural group that's really selling with pride, we mean this quite literally to the extent, and we've, I think we mentioned this in other podcasts, that we would count by their community's rules as LGBT, both of us, because we would both at least be a gender, which is a form of gender queer, which is a form of trans. And I, I was talking to some progressive friends and they go, a gender isn't a form of gender queer. And it's like, Yes, it is. It's defined that way by most of the major LGBT organizations. If you don't believe me, just go Google definitions of gender queer that are found on these organizations' websites, and agender will clearly be under the definition. 
and when I say agender, it's just it doesn't really matter to me that I'm a guy. Like if I woke up tomorrow and I was a woman, I'd be like, fine, I'll find a way to make this work. Yeah, it just um, make it work. It doesn't matter. I'd be gay, but I'd find a way to make it work. And I and Simone feels the same way. So what we mean by that is even us within the community, we could just say we are LGBT, but I don't identify with that community. And because of that, I am not. I do not think that the correct way to deal with not having a strong attachment, like really caring that much that I'm a guy, I don't think the way to deal with that is to incorporate that into a major aspect of my identity and then say, okay, well, these are my people now and this is my thing now. To be more pointed, our gender identity is about as important to our actual identity as our favorite color is. It just doesn't matter that much. In the future, we're going to do a video on the difference between supporting people who are, for example, same-sex attracted and supporting people who adapt the gay identity and gay lifestyle. We believe both of these things should be done, but they are two very different things, and it is possible to support the gay identity while being terribly oppressive to same-sex attracted people who choose different lifestyles for themselves, for example, heterosexual marriage, because they choose to stay within a traditional faith or a traditional culture, because you tell them, well, you don't get to adopt any same-sex attracted identity unless you live this very specific lifestyle. So because of the way you're born, uh, our cultural group gets dominion over the rest of your life and is the only correct way to live that life. You no longer get to choose your culture or identity because of the way you were born. And I think it's really important to both support the LGBT community and, and gay people living within that cultural lifestyle and same-sex attracted people or gender dimorphic people who choose other cultural responses to something that they had no control over. And so I mention all this just to show how expansive it is. The more you learn about all of the different gender identities, whether it's demisexual or et cetera, you will see that just about anyone can find a way to identify as LGBT these days. Even if you don't choose what most people would think of as a really non-normative gender or sexual attraction. Now, another area where I think it's really interesting is it, as the community expands, expanding to the poly community, also it's been expanding into the kink community with people of the kink community now identifying as, and, and this is a community where, yeah, you might get shame if you mention this stuff at the office, but I really don't think they're a discriminated against the group in the traditional context. And it is interesting that you see within the pride events, within the, the existing LGBT pride events, Pride is so much more important to their cultural message and sales pitch than it is to other minority cultures. Or I could be wrong here. Like, do you think that's accurate, Simone? It's really hard to say. I do think it's telling that of all the places where I've been in the world, and I'm not saying I've been everywhere, but like I sort of we, you and I collectively have traveled decently throughout Europe and Asia, right? That where we see pride most, I guess, openly and enthusiastically celebrated is also where 
I don't know how to say this, white culture is also super not cool to celebrate. Like I was just thinking about like, where's the only other place where I've seen like enthusiastic celebration of LGBT and even like sort of BDSM culture? Can you guess? I don't know. Germany. Like oh, big time. interesting. Yeah, mm-hmm. they do have bigger pride events in other places. Yeah. And like, like also like just like bonded shops, like much more like open. And so that I feel like that's more, more culturally oh, celebrated. Oh, pride in coastal cities in liberal areas is the strongest. But I would also say that white pride is strongest in the South. In the South, like you, st- I mean, like people are still flying like Confederate flags and whatnot. There is actual more white pride and there's more resistance to not having white pride. And that therefore there's less per our theory or model here of a drive or demand to have alternate channels for pride as a white person, if that makes sense. Uh, yeah, that um, makes sense. Because when I think about like the best like gay pride parades I've been to or drag shows or like events in general, San Francisco, obviously, DC, Cape Cod, like just. Oh, yeah. The those best. are definitely locations where you would have the highest amount of cultural shame. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas like in the South, I don't think there's much reason also because I think there's a lot more, even if we're like, you know, independent of Confederate stuff, like there's still just a lot more. There's the debutante balls. There's like, there's actual like sort of historical white culture. We'll try to like their religious groups often, which is. Yeah, yeah. there's more like proud to be a Baptist or whatever, whereas you don't get that in coastal cities. So like, because there are more outlets for a white middle to upper class, or even like lower, like um, impoverished even, like there are lots of channels there. And yet, yeah, in, in the coastal cities and North, you really don't see that. Hence maybe more LGBT, et cetera, pride. I think there may be a tendency to dismiss this as being a sign of just how liberal an area is. However, if you look at places like Cuba, you do not, see large pride events. In fact, gay marriage wasn't even legalized until 2022. Well, I think that this is really interesting um, that it is sort of uh, white pride laundering. Um, in the same way, oh, oh like my that. god! Like <laughs> pride, we are going to launder our white pride and 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 have these big parades about it, but we're going to pretend it's not a white pride parade. Oh um, my god! And after I had I this can't. realization. Um, I'm never going to be able to see places anything else, just giant white pride parades of people who say that, oh, I'm not a white, I'm not, you know, pro. Uh, Which which is interesting because this isn't what the gay community used to be. And I think that this is important to note is that the gay community used to be people who were born gay and had to live their entire lives, like really discriminated for this. For sure. Like it was shitty to grow up being gay in like the 80s, right? But- Back then, the pride parades were a lot more timid, I think, than they are today. Well, they certainly weren't, like, dominated like they are these days by, like, parade floats from Bank of America. Right. But I I think that historically, if you were in the 80s and you went up and you said, I'm LGBT, right? And yet your form of sexuality or gender identity did not lead to you being significantly discriminated against, the community would have been like, that's a little offensive for you to say that if you were like a gender or something like that, or like a demisexual, or you mm. were something that like didn't mean that you had to live a lifestyle that caused you to constantly be attacked in the way that they were constantly attacked and victimized. But the community has sort of been taken over 
to an extent by this cultural virus, which is expansive. And now it's a cultural group. It's no longer a, we were born this way and there's nothing we can do about it. It's joining us in this cultural group, which yes, some of the people in this cultural group didn't choose it, but a lot of people in this cultural group, this is an opt-in thing. Like we were talking about with polyamory. Yeah. Well, and I guess also it's very easy to find one of these groups that you can identify with. For example, in our sexuality research, we found that women aren't really that attracted, like primarily to primary or secondary sex characteristics, like not sexual body parts, but rather dominance and submission. So that means that like you could argue, and this has shown up in other research too, that the majority of women are sort of by default bisexual. So instantly, like you can opt into that. I think the majority of women don't choose to identify as bisexual, but like, if you need that outlet, you can find it. I think that's the most important part of this is that maybe, um, uh, and we now have a better understanding of how malleable our sexuality is because so many people right. are taking gender hormones. Right. And we now know that when you're on gender hormones, you have a 25% chance of changing the primary gender you're attracted to. Um, oh yeah. Well, yeah. And people describing once they go on testosterone or once they go on estrogen, just the extent to which they feel super different yeah. is meaningful. Even me, I have hypothalamic amenorrhea. I don't have periods on my own, meaning that I have to take like tons of estrogen to sort of like function normally as a female. I can tell the difference. And it's one of those things that really frustrates yeah, me. This we're like, you're pretty ASAP. Malcolm, sorry, you're going to have to start that over. Um, if you could start after just like right when you interrupted me, that would be good because that's where you broke up. Uh, and, and you've talked with me about this as well, where you would say that normally you're pretty asexual or at least responsive sexual, where you can get turned on, but only if somebody is engaging you already. Right. But your sexuality becomes proactive when you're on all these hormones and you yeah. begin to feel active attraction, like, like you want to jump me right then, which is something that you almost never experience when you're not on these hormones. Which is why I think the critique that asexuals just have a hormone imbalance is not off, <laughs> really. But all of this stuff, it's so interesting that we have entered a society today where you can't say it's not a choice, mm -hmm. that you can't say you were born this way. That's offensive. But you also can't say that some people aren't born this way. That's offensive as well. It's just, well, just and it's, think about how offensive it is to say, like, if I were to walk up to an asexual and be like, oh, don't worry, you can just like medicate yourself out of this. How offensive would that be? Especially when you start to identify your sexual orientation with your personal identity, that gets super dangerous. And one of the first things that you indicate in the Pragmatist Guide to Sexuality, our book on human sexuality, is that your sexual orientation does not mean that you condone something morally or that you support something morally. Like if something turns you on, that doesn't mean you're okay with it or that it's part of your identity. It's just something that turns you on. And I think furthermore, we need to recognize that the things that turn you on may change depending on either endogenous or exogenous hormones, meaning like hormones that are just happening either because of puberty or just general life or your gender, whatever, or hormones that you're taking or hormones that you're exposed to by the environment outside of your control, but like, like not intentional. So it's, I think it's really interesting. And I guess it gets dangerous. Let's say if indeed our theory is correct, if indeed LGBT, et cetera, pride is one form of white pride laundering, and then people choose to identify as one of these categories, 
because they want something to identify with it. They can be proud of. They want to have a culture they can be proud of. And they start to strongly identify with a sexual orientation that may ultimately shift over time because of their hormonal changes or like maybe doesn't really represent them or whatever. I don't know. I think it's kind of dangerous. It would be much better for someone to build cultural pride around a culture or religion that they very logically and intentionally chose and didn't just fall into because of a hormonal balance or imbalance or, I don't know, approximate social group. It's just, a, it's a little frustrating, but it's very interesting nonetheless. Yeah, well, and I think that one thing that's really disgusting, we talk about this laundering, is the recent change of the gay pride flag. Like, if it turns out that this is actually psychologically what's going on, to include the stripes for, like, what is it? Trans. Br brown and black. What's the word they use? It is... BIPOC? BIPOC. Okay, yeah, sorry. So with the flag now having the brown and black colors in it for BIPOC individuals, not even gender or sexuality, they're literally like wearing blackface to hide this white pride outlet. Through well, but wouldn't you say that's almost like a correction? Could it almost be this subtle recognition that LGBT pride stuff was kind of white pride and masquerading as other sexual identities? And therefore we have to throw in, hey, remember... White people can't have Remember, pride about anything. Right. That could be it. That's I, a charitable interpretation of what's going on there. And that could be it. I don't know. That doesn't sound very charitable to me. But unless you just want to accept the premise that white people are super evil no matter what. Which, I don't know. Well, hey, and this comes to another thing. You were talking about people identifying with their sexuality first and foremost. This is why one of the, we've had such an easy time doing research in the sexuality space and like uncovering tons of new stuff. In the Shooting of the fish in a barrel, right? Well, it's shooting fish in a barrel because no real research has been done in this space in like 20 years. And the reason is because people started basing their identities off of the state of the research 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. And now if you update the research, like if the research finds new things, well, then you've undermined someone's identity, right? Mm -hmm. So you can't update. It's now canon. It's now whatever the state of the field was 20 years ago, that's canon, even if it doesn't align with the actual data, which is one of the things that we point out in our book is the concept of even gay and straight is probably not a really effective way of talking about yeah. sexual identity. So by that, what we mean it is it appears that even if you're just talking about like male or female, what do you prefer? Well, it turns out that's not really the way those are grouped in the, in, in the brain or in populations. So it's pretty common to have a guy who is, I think it's about a third of guys or a quarter of guys in our studies, who finds the female like silhouette, like general body image attractive, but it gets discussed or at least no attraction from a vagina. And that is fascinating to me that it appears that there's sort of three categories here. One is general body shape, which can go on a spectrum of male and female, and then with males and females, attraction to disgust, not male to female, right? Because you can be all the way attracted to both male and female body shapes or all the way disgusted by both male and female body shapes. But then you have these separate metrics of one is secondary sex characteristics and the other is primary sex characteristics. And it's actually, while it does often happen that these things align, it doesn't happen enough that it makes sense that the predominant way we categorize sexuality is male to female attraction. It's probably better to say arousal to disgust along like these 10 different metrics. But of course that doesn't align with the state of the research when everybody started basing their identities off of 
their arousal patterns and gender proclivities. It would be cool if we switched to that though. Like if you could have a sort of your like docket of like, here are all the turn-ons, here are all the turn-offs for me. <laughs> I feel like people would find compatibility a lot easier to work out, but oh, yeah, whatever. Absolutely. That's that's a totally different can yeah, of worms. What, what would you... Scale is nonsense. It's complete with this, nonsense. It's not with this new model... Out. With this new model of LGBT as laundered white pride, <laughs> do you view it any differently? Like, I don't know what to make of it yet in my head. Well, I think I'm going to- kindness. It's not great to grow up feeling like your ethnic group is wretched and deplorable and like intrinsically, genetically, or culturally worse than all other groups. And not everybody raises their kids believing this, but you know there definitely is a portion of the population that raises their kids believing this. And I think that portion of the population's kids is a portion that is most likely to end up identifying as LGBT because mm -hmm. there is nothing, it's not a, I, I guess I don't see it as a bad thing really because mm -hmm. it's better than these kids having nothing they can have pride in. Yeah. Uh, especially if you buy this meme that there's just something intrinsically immoral about white people or whiteness, which exists within certain cultural groups, especially in the San Francisco, New York area. Yeah. Anyway, weird well, stuff. Anyway, I love you so much, Simone. I and too, uh, I love that we can have these spicy conversations. This is one of these ones where I know I, I would be afraid to post it. I love that you and I will be walking in a grocery store, picking up more milk for the kids. And this just comes out of nowhere. So yeah, like, thank you for being that person. <laughs> no, it's funny because the moment I said it to you, I go, is LGBT white pride? And you thought for a second, you go, oh, it is. Well, uh, no, I more like loudly said that in the middle of the dairy aisle, but hopefully no one there knows us too well. <laughs> it's too um, bad. No, it's, this right is actually, when we talk about sexuality, one of those things where like, we'll be talking to a trans friend about this. We go, yeah, we do. We talk a lot of deviant stuff about sexuality on our show and on our, and there's like, oh yeah, well, I'm part of the kink community too. I'm trans too. And I'm like, oh no, like I'm thinking in my head, no, when I'm deviant, like the trans community doesn't like it. Like trans maxing uh, alternate iterations, not in line with what conservatives think about sexuality, but definitely not in line with like the liberal consensus. Such is our curse. At any Such rate, love these conversations. Try, Can't wait to see what you come up with next time we're picking up milk. So <laughs> let's do it more frequently. All right. Have a good one. You too, Malcolm.